I proceeded to pack what we used to call our whole bags, and we would put, we would put like an apple pie or a pint of some kind of liquor in there. We would have a couple of little something to smoke on the way, and I had some heels, a dress, and some nylons, if yeah, I can remember nylons, and, um, and my makeup. And from the time it took to travel those 30 miles, we would transform in that car. Even if we were driving, we were driving. <laughs> now, I had flagged out my second story bedroom window where my girlfriend would have a motor running, like bank robbers, of course. And um, off we went into the city. And we would go to these little homes in the wall bars, and they seemed like back then they were on every corner. I'm dating myself, but this was like the late 70s. Okay, so now you guys know how old I am. And um, they were called stuff like Larry's Pleasure Box and Jerry's Disco and the Pepper Lounge and Garfield Lounge. And I can tell you, with my little fake ID that said I was 25, I'd go in that bar and I'd go into that bar and order my drink and I had arrived. And that bar probably was no bigger than this stage. And they put a bar in there, they had a cage for the DJ, you know. And he was literally in a cage, you know. And the music would be thumping. And I had that dream, and I liked that. <sighs> As it went down, and it took me maybe about five minutes. And I was on the dance floor, man, doing God knows what, you know. And, um, and I looked at it like that for a long time, you know. And I thought, this is what I had been missing my whole life. You know, I like your case there, you know, alcohol was my solution. <clears throat> anyway, so my parents were like those parents. If you lived in under their roof, you had to go by their rules. And I couldn't wait to get out of their house and make my own rules. Um, my senior high graduation, me and my mom came in for my graduation, and my dad sitting around the table with his buddies drinking. And he said, there she is, there's my graduate. And I remember how much I hated him at that moment because I thought he could never show up for me. You know, and I thought I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be that kind of parent. You know, he just happened to be, he was the absentee dad that just happened to live with us. Anyway, so off I went to college, you know, and um, and you know I found out that making my own rules world was overrated. You know, and because sticking with responsibilities, bills rules, you know, and um, my second year of college, I had my first child, and she was a little girl, and, and I just remember when they put that baby in my arms, I made her a promise and a promise to myself that she was never going to be alone or afraid or feel unloved, and I meant that with everything in me, and that lasted about 2.5 seconds until her treatments were off, and then she was in my way. And every chance I got, I was dropping her off at her grandparents so I could go do my deal. You know, I want to tell you that, um, you know, I drug her through a lot of my alcoholism. I want to tell you a lot, uh, a little bit about that, too. Um, I'm going to fast forward eight and a half years later. I'm pregnant with my second child. And um, I just remember when I was pregnant with my first child, it was easy for me to stop drinking and doing other things, you know, and, um, 
And this second child, two and a half months into their pregnancy, I took a glass of white wine to calm my nerves. You know, when I was off the run, and I want to tell you, I did everything, drinking and everything else during the rest of that pregnancy. And I had my baby at seven months pregnant. He was three pounds and seven ounces. You know, and, um, you know, I used to be ashamed to say that from the podium. But what I know today, though, is if I'm powerless over alcohol and my life's unmanageable, it doesn't mean just because not when it's going to hurt you or my child or people that I love. I'm powerless, period. Anyways, um, I'm happy to report to you that that little boy is, he's 24 years old. He's a great dad. He's a criminal justice major. He's six foot five. The words of size 17 too. You know, so that's my baby. See what that'll do. Um, you know, um, things just started getting a lot worse for me. And I remember after about two years and I got two kids in tow now, I decided I was going to go live with my dad and I was going to allow him to take care of me and my, my kids. All the money that I had from, from working was going to go to my drinking and my drug, drug and he was going to take care of my kids, you know. I was real good about making my dad feel guilty for the damn I thought he should do to me. And he did the best he could before again. So I'm living with my dad now and um, I'm about 30 years old now and um, I'm climbing out the second story bedroom window. <laughs> and I'm going down the street to get a little something something. You know, because now I'm getting a little something something. You know, and um, and I was out at one of those places, one of those things that I did getting what I needed to get to feel how I needed to feel and and you know the police busted in there and I I made my first trip to jail, you know. And if you know anything about the Cincinnati area, I was at the Justice Center, the Hamilton County Justice Center, you know. It's at 900 Sycamore Street. I was at the grand opening. <laughs> Literally. It was when they took everybody from Colorado Avenue to the old, from the old workhouse to the new building. It still smelled pink. You know, they had a lighter on a stream. They allowed us to smoke in there. You know, that's before they, you know, got crackheads, you know. And, um, and they allowed us to smoke in there. You know, and if you were to ask me how he did up there, I would have told you it was bad luck. It was where I was at. It was the people I was hanging out with. It was the police messing with me. It was everything but the love I had for drugs and alcohol was more powerful than any love I had for any human being, even myself. I had to drink, but I didn't know that yet. You know, and I sure didn't think how many nights that I left out of that house with my 10-year-old daughter taking care of her two-year-old brother, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and she had to reassure her baby brother that mommy's going to be right back. See, that was my job. And she was barely able to herself. <clears throat> Anyways, one night I decided that I was going to drink with my dad and I was going to wait until he fell asleep, drunk and getting drunk and steeper. And I was going to borrow some money from him. I had done it before. And, um, and I did. I borrowed $50. And I was going to go down the street to get a little something and something. And I was going to come right back. 20 minutes tops. Have you ever? 
went down the street to get a little something, something, and just kind of be gone for 20 minutes. And I missed that. And that 20 minutes turned into four days. You know, and, uh, and then four days passes by pretty quick, you know, and so I'm walking back home, and um, my dad's sitting on the porch, and he's pretty peace, you know, and um, we can't just be blown out. And he proceeded to tell me how much he was ashamed of me as a daughter. And I proceeded to tell me and how much I hated him as a father. I said things to my dad that no daughter would say to their father, because I truly did love him. I was daddy's friend. I also need to tell you that I come from a family of five kids. I'm, I'm the middle child and the baby girl, you know. And all of my siblings, all of my kids, you know, or have been here before or they need to come back. Anyways. So um, off I went from that house, you know, because I'm fasting. So off I went, and I was missing from my family for a year and a half about 30 miles from where I live. Now, I want to tell you in that year and a half, um, not once did I call home. You know, not on birthdays, holidays, good days, bad days, you know, and every single day I had intended on calling home. You know, and um, I couldn't. I had intended on going home, and I couldn't. And I didn't know why. I had that awful paralyzing fear that keeps us stuck out there. I didn't know it until I came to you guys that it was fearful and incomprehensible demoralization. Um, I recognized that right away out of the big book of alcoholics and I was. You know, and so a year and a half goes by pretty fast, you know. And I want to tell you in that year and a half, a lot of things happened to me. See, I grew up in church. My mom taught me how to be a lady, you know, but I had been in the spot of, you know, I, I figured that was my mom's fault, you know. Um, I didn't know any concept of God except for that was the God for my mom. You know, in um, a year and a half, you know, I did some crazy things, you know, and before you knew it, I was standing on a street corner and I was jumping in that stranger's car. You know, when I was living in the end of buildings and basements, um, abandoned parks, you know, and um, I want to tell you, I work in a place today that I can look across the street and I can see the building where I used to stay warm and drip in that hallway. And every day I get to go past that. And you know, and I don't have to care about that like that thing to you. Anyways, um, I'm walking down the street that day, and um, I see a friend of the family, and it's been a year and a half since I've been home, and he stops his car, and he asked me when the last time I saw my dad. And I said, I'm not on anything he has to say, and I didn't think it's too happy or too polite. And he reaches in his glove box, and he hands me an obituary with my dad's face on it, and it was dated the week before. And I would like to tell you at that moment, I picked up the phone, and I called home. Because see, my mama, she was, she was breathing, she was breathing for a husband and a daughter, by the way. You know, but the love I had for drugs and alcohol was more powerful than any love I had for any human being, even myself. I had to drink. You know, and I stay out there probably a year more. You know, and um, 
one day I was at this card party and um, I went there with this guy and he introduced me to his friends and one of his friends was a lady named Dylan. And Dylan was like nobody I ever met, you know. She had a smile that lit up the room. It was called a light in her eyes. And she had a laugh that was so contagious that she had a laugh with her. And she didn't ask me what I did for a living, where I lived, what kind of car I drove, or if I wanted a pigeon on something. She just wanted to be my friend. And I was later to find out she was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know today that was my God giving me mercy instead of justice because I didn't go to a meeting to find Billy. God turned me. You know, and Billy was the attraction for me at Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I wanted what she had. You know, I was waiting for this guy to finish playing cards that night, so I could rob him. <laughs> he was just the guy to rob him. You know, God intervened, and, you know, and I made a friend. And um, I decided to make a woman that I asked him to sponsor me. She asked me to do something. She asked me to get on my knees in the morning, and I started to keep me clean and clean. In the thinking of my life, she asked me to go to meeting every day, read my big book. She insisted that we work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and to work with other drugs. And just to show up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and be a service. And I just thought that was way too much. See, first of all, I didn't trust women because. You always wanted what I had, you know. I was thinking of a day in the building, you were what I got. <laughs> so I didn't do those things. I kind of had to ask it, you know. And about two months into that deal, I left that man's house, you know, because he didn't allow me to stay in his house, even though I stole from him every chance I got. I left his house to go to a meeting and I went left and watched him right and I ended up at the judgment. You know? And I want to tell you, I was out there for six days and in those six days, I experienced more insanity than I had in my entire life. And I think it was because, see, the seed had already been planted. Billy, she used to read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to me. She spoon feed it to me. You know, I'd be laying on the floor like half in a stupor, and she'd be reading something out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, um, so um, I ended up having so fancy. You know, I want to tell you from that fifth day when I was out there, um, me and my girlfriend, we got together and we took some stuff from some people that didn't like it too much. And um, back then, I didn't believe in anything about sleeping up and chilling up. And so, me and my girlfriend, we were going to meet on that fifth day and we were going to split the proceeds of that. And, um, and I showed up and I was late. And I found out that my girlfriend had been shot to death. Now I want to tell you, um, I didn't want to do, you know, and because see, this is my solution, you know, I got a little something to drink, I got a little something to smoke, you know, and I was going to make the pain go away, you know. And I tried with all my might, with all my might, and my, to make the pain go away, except. It was different this time. It wasn't working anymore. It wasn't my solution. 
you know when the Lord came, and the Lord said you, I used to hate the sound of the brothers thing, because I knew it wasn't going to be long, that I was going to lose the cloak of the life to do what I needed to do to get what I needed to get, just be what I needed to be. So I was a wife, bro. I didn't, I didn't want to come out in the daytime because I knew if you saw me, you would hate me because I hated you. Anyways, um, the morning came and the sun came up and I'm walking through the projects one more time to get what I needed again, you know, and, I, and, and I'm crossing this, this road that connected one project to the other. It's called their turnaround. And, um, see, I kind of didn't look out of any God ever helping me because I had done so much dirt, you know, and, um, and I was too cool to tell Billy I didn't know how to pray. Are you praying? Oh, yeah, I'm praying. Yeah. And, um, and I got to the middle of that, that street, and, um, and I had a meltdown. You know, and, and I said the only thing that I knew, it was on impulse. God, please help me. And when I said those words out of my mouth, Billy immediately came to mind. See, I haven't thought about her in those big things. You know, when I thought, you know, I'll call her, she you know what to do. And she uh, was always saying to me, Grace, are you willing to go to any place to stay sober? And um, I told her what happened, and she said she would come get me, and she was telling me about a place called Meridaven, and I was at Columbus, Ohio. And she said she had a lot of friends there, and that's where she got sober. And she said, are you, willing, are you still willing to go to any place to stay sober? And she came to pick me up, and she took me to her house. I want to tell you something about this. I remember every moment of this time, even though I was like half out of it. She took me to her house. She made me a bag, a bubble bag, you know. I took off the clothes that I had on, and I had these black jeans on, and they stood over in the corner. The <laughs> you know, see, I thought black clothes because, see, Bathing and changing clothes wasn't an option, you know. So I thought, you know, I used to have this black hair gel, and I'd slip my hair back, and I'd put this lipstick on. And I thought, I just looked like a friend of her, you know. And um, cheeks all sunk in, you know, about 95 pounds wet, if you can believe that, you know. Um, you know, and she ran this bubble bath for me, and I remember getting in that bath. I remember that warm water getting in that bath, and I remember me trying to scrub the dirt off my body, and it just wouldn't come off because it was inside. Oh, I don't ever want to forget that feeling. And she left me alone in her house, and she would go find me fresh clothes, like maybe from a camera or a Walmart, you know? And she wasn't worried one bit about the fact that everybody's house that I entered, you was going to come up short. And for the first time, I didn't think about taking anything from that lady. She returned home, and off we went to Columbus. And it's the middle of the night. You know, and she insisted that I stop and let my family know that I was okay and what I was going to do. And I was reading my with my kids and my mom. And I often went to Columbus, and I want to tell you, when we got to Columbus, this was amazing to me, you know. Um, 
she called her name and she got her friends together. And we ended up at this lady's house. Her name was Sydney Barksley. I don't know if she had some mind to tell her name. She was my first sponsor. You know, and there was about eight people sitting around her house in her living room. And uh, they allowed me to lay on the couch. <laughs> and, and they had their big books. And they opened the big books. And they sat around and they read something out of the big book. And they talked about how they drank and how they drugged and how they stayed sober in the rooms of our colleagues. You know, and for the first time in my life, I said the two words that were for the beginning of my journey to you, and I was like, me too. I felt like that too. I drank like that too. I lived like that too. I would say, um, I mean, at Cindy's house probably for the next three days. And they made arrangements for me to go into the detox center because I was sitting like a leaf on a tree, you know, back there a cup of coffee everywhere I went. And, um, you know, I thought I went to Marion, you know, and we were on our way to Marion that morning and we stopped and we had breakfast with Billy and I and um, we were in this restaurant and, um, Billy was always talking about the big book of Arbolics Anonymous. And there was a lady that walked over and she gave me a job. You know? And I said, well, I can't, I kind of can't say it because I'm on my way to treatment. You know? And um, she said, give me a call when you come out and um, we'll have a job for you. You know, now I used to say that I was on a play role, but that just meant that you had to look for a job to be at. You know? I started with that, with that restaurant. It was a five-restaurant franchise, and I started with that restaurant after I got out of treatment, you know, um, barely 34 days sober. And, um, and um, I worked for them for three years, and I went from being their trainer to their assistant business manager of five restaurants. And the owner of those restaurants used to allow me to take the great time home every other weekend to visit my children. See, they had heard all those pretty stories before, you know. I had to start acting my way into the right thing and not thinking my way into the right action. You know, and, um, and I also need to tell you that I didn't have a driver's license for the first five years of my sobriety, and that was because I didn't think you needed a driver's license to drive. I was just a technicality, this detail. How about they say if you even needed to own a carpet truck? Just pick one. So I had to wait five years. The courts decided that I was going to wait five years before I was going to be able to drive again. You know, and so I took two buses to work every day, and I took two buses home. And I took two buses to a meeting every day. Every day. And I asked for rides on. And I took the Greyhound bus to Cincinnati from Columbus every other weekend to visit with my children. And I want to tell you, new girls that come to me and say they can't get to a meeting. <laughs> Baby. I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> um. 
and um, it's just part of my journey to you. And I want to tell you, things just got better and better for me. You know, um, I um, moved back to uh, Cincinnati after three years, you know, and, um, and I started going to AA here. And I got reunited with a lot of my friends here in Cincinnati. You know, and um, the sponsor I have today, she used to do a jail meeting. And um, she would come in jail. She would always be happy and perky, you know. So, damn perky. You know, and uh, she called me crazy girl, and she still calls me crazy girl. You know, and um, and I get her, her her number every time she saw me in jail. She saw me every time we see each other, I was in jail. I didn't be in jail, you know. And I'd be like, hey, you know. And I'm not going to get you in that world. I lost it. <laughs> you know? And I never called her, you know? And in about two years after long distance sponsorship, you know, going back from Columbus to Cincinnati, I decided to ask her to be my sponsor. And she's my sponsor today. Her name's Patty O. You know? And I love her. Um, she's no smart just like Cindy, you know? She believes in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and sitting up and showing up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she doesn't ask anything of me that she's not going to do with me. You know, I, she walks shoulder to shoulder with me. And I try to do that with the girls I sponsor. Um, I still go to five or seven meetings every week. I work with other drunks. I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and I pray on my knees in the morning. And I work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I met this man, and, um, you know, and we were dating for a while, and we decided that we were going to get married. And, you know, he's my husband today, and he knows everything about me, and um, he loves me anyway. I want to tell you that um, he's one of those normals, normies. You know, he's one of those people that he'll take a drink out of a cooler and he'll say, oh, you have to try to home. <laughs> Just want to punch you in the neck. <laughs> or we'll be at a party or a family function, you know, and I'll be like, what happened to your drink? He'll be like, oh, I don't know. I'll set it down somewhere and I'll be like, oh, it's over there around the corner on that little table. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Me and my first sponsor, we worked out a way that I can make those amends to my dad. <clears throat> and I learned a lot of stuff. And every year, at least once a year, I go to the cemetery where he's buried, you know. And, um, you know, I know that um, I'm so proud to be my father's daughter today. Because I know I'm just like my dad. Um, a couple of things that I'm going to show up. Um, just five of us, and um, I had this sister, and um, she's my older sister, and her name is Valerie, and she was a hospice nurse, and she devoted her life to helping people and their families. And she was my biggest cheerleader, and you know, she believed in me long before I believed in myself. She didn't know you guys, but she loved you. Because all she knew about alcoholics and I was that he gave her her baby sister back. 
Tuesday night down at Ellen Street, 405 Ellen Street, if you guys don't know. I want to tell you that my own group is the Happy Boys and Free Group, the second Wednesday at 15 Southport Thomas Avenue. This is 7 o'clock meeting. You need to get there early. It's always time to eat. We have feed a drunk. You know? And, um, and I look forward to that. We all get together, my girls, my sons, or my buddies. You know, and it's just like, it's the one time of the week, no matter what means I go to through the week, that I don't want to show up there. I'm early. You know, and I ask for the union to. Anyways, if you're in the area, come and see us on the left Anyways, um, <coughs> so, um, that sister was a Tuesday night. I was at Oak Street going to a meeting, and we were talking on the phone, and I said, oh, I'll call you back in, and I said, I love you, you know, and we talk every day, you know, um, she was one of those functional alcoholics, you know, she didn't have to stay on the street corner or go to jail, she was a mom, she paid her bills, but she drank every day, you know, and she was a blackout drinker. About one o'clock in the morning, you know, I got a call. It was from my other sister, Mel, and she said that there had been an accident and I needed to get to the, to the hospital for the festival. And, um, and I thought, okay, you know, I'll go to the hospital and maybe she'll leave right home. And I got there and um, I was led back to this trauma, you know, where they say hi to the trauma And then I did back to find this partition and it was like I stepped into somebody's nightmare. And it was my sister laying on the table, and she was bleeding for every part of her body. And I just talked for an hour, you know. And I, I just want to say that I'm so glad I wasn't missing that night. And I got to hold my sister's hand when she took her last breath. See, the story goes that she was drinking, and there's a highway in Cincinnati, uh, north, and it's called Tylersville Road. And she ended up somehow on Father's Road. And she stepped into the path of a living crime and stressful. And her blood alcohol level was four times the legal limit. And I had to be the one to tell my mom that her oldest child was gone and how she died. And I had to be the aunt that showed up for her four grown children and her six grandchildren. And made the arrangements for her funeral. I was so angry. I was so damn angry. I thought, you know, I thought I did all this. You know, forget what my sponsor always told me about those expectations that we have of people. You see, I'm right, I had some expectations. I got sober and I stayed sober for eight years and I could work the steps so that's a liability. And you took my very best friend from me. And I thought, you're going to be my best friend now. Who's going to be my big sister now? I have a lot of big sisters and big brothers and friends of alcoholics and animals. And I want to tell you, I never had a moment alone after that happened. You guys showed up for me. And if it wasn't but to just listen to me tell you goofy stories about me and my sister and so, bring food to the house, or do my dishes, or 
picking me up to take me to a meeting so I didn't have to drive. You're my family, you know. Okay, so back to that dad. Um, I made those events to my dad in um, one year. He and my daughter were going to go out to the cemetery, Graceberry, and um, we were only some flowers. And we got to the cemetery and we were going along. <coughs> and um, so we didn't stay there. You know, and um, so we decided to leave and come back there, you know, and, and his house where he used to live was four blocks from the cemetery where he's buried, and I got in my car, and I hadn't been to that house, and we had that big body, and I don't know what it was, but I ended up in that driveway. And I got out of the car, and me and my daughter, and I, and I went and knocked on the door, and I went to Sky to answer the door, and he invited us in. I didn't even know what's from Adam. You know, when I had to go through that house and share only happy moments about my childhood with my daughter. You know, my dad had a distinctive smell. He smelled like old spies, entertained pools, and there was a Canadian. He thought he was the shit. You know how it was. <laughs> and you know, even though that place had changed and there was big paint on the walls and there was different furniture, I knew my dad was there. Now I had made those amends and I had did the deal and I had my living amends to my dad was to treat my mom like alcoholics anonymous and never say no. And to be a good mom to his grandchildren because he loves his grandchildren. And I had done all that. But I still carried a lot of guilt and remorse about how he left things. And I want to tell you from that day to this, the spring has stopped for me. Anyway, so it's got to be about time for us to leave and we're walking through that middle room where we, where all of the drinking was to take place. And um, it was the same, except there was different furniture, and there was different paint on the walls, and, except it had these little pictures on the walls that was really weird, you know, and they said stuff like, like the one like that. One day at a time, keep coming back. And right about then, the guy comes in the, in the room, and I said, what is this place? And he said, it was a sober house for men. I know today, me and my daddy return. I am so very proud to be my father's daughter today. Um, what, what my life is like today, oh my God, it's just like a dream. Um, if I get a list of everything that I wanted from that college for that, I always saw myself so short. I just wanted to stop going to jail. I wanted to stop going from the dope band, man. I wanted to stop going from the dope I'm going to tell you a little short story. I was thinking about this the other day. I was standing on the street corner one day, and you know, we had bones back in. And so the cops pulled up at the light, right? So I got in the phone booth, you know, the big text, you know, we're geniuses. So I picked up the phone, except I had my back to the receiver, I had my, my hand on the receiver. And I'm acting like I'm carrying on this fictitious conversation, and the phone rang. <laughs> and the cop looked at me, and he was like, really? <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> anyway, that's a sign. I had to be 
anyway, so, so um, that mom that I always treated like I was anonymous and I didn't say no to her. You know, I lost my mom in April of this year. And I want to undoubtedly tell, I want to tell you without a shadow of a doubt, me and my mom with her, you know, she was my best friend. I remember my mom, we came along with her. My mom used to hide a person when I came come into her house, and we went from that for, to her giving me a blank check and paying our bills. You know, I can tell you that for the longest time, because my mom suffered from mental illness, and she was a cancer survivor. I made the decisions for my mom. You know, she was a 12-year cancer survivor. And at that moment, when you lose your hand, you're just there to you are just their kid. Um, I miss her every day. You know, I'm just now getting to the point where I talk to her. You know, anyways, um, I had life today that I couldn't believe. I had these grandkids of mine, and I'm Gigi. I'm the best answer to you ever knew. I just so relate to Katie. Oh my God. And my girl would be like, why did you have to do that? I'd be like, because he wanted to. <laughs> I love my grandkids, man. It is that simple. It's even better. Because there's no rules. I just have fun, man. It's like jumping on couches and shit. Thank you. 